Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls." Well, the New Testament uses a lot of different metaphors to describe for us the Christian life. We clearly see one of those here in our text of Hebrews chapter 12. The writer tells us that the Christian life is like running. It's like running. Now, I appreciate this metaphor because I actually enjoy running, believe it or not. It's quite a fun hobby to me. In the last four and a half years, I know it doesn't look like it, but I have ran 38 races in the last four and a half years. Eight of those were half marathons. Two of those were full marathons, about 1,500 miles since maybe late 2017. Now, I don't want to fool you because I'm not fast at all. A friend of mine posted a marathon timing yesterday. He ran it in three hours and 24 minutes. He could run two marathons in the time it takes me to run one. I'm not fast, and running does not come easy for me. But I'll be honest with you. It is hard for me to express to you the reward that my mind and my soul experiences when I, when I finish a run. I love running, and I I love this text because it collides with one of my favorite hobbies in describing for us what the Christian life looks like and how it is that we approach it. So the writer says here in in verse number 1, look at it. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run the race. Interestingly enough here, the, the Greek word for race in verse 1, it's the same word that we also translate into agony or struggle. He's saying, let us run with endurance the the agony that is set before us, the the struggle that is set before us, the the race, the race. He seems to have here a long distance race in mind, like like a marathon. Of course, there are Portions of a long distance race like that where it can be grueling and agonizing. It's a, it's a struggle to go that long distance and attempt to finish it. That's why it requires a lot of discipline and, and endurance to, to compete in such a thing. So the point he seems to be making here by using that word 
for race, the word agony, the word struggle. The point here is that as a metaphor to running a marathon, so is the Christian life. The Christian life is not easy. That's the point he seems to be making. The Christian life is not easy. According to research, less than 1% of the United States population has completed a marathon. Now, why is that the case? Well, because it's hard. It's a hard thing to do. It takes a lot of time and energy and efforts and discipline. And maybe that's where some of you are right now. Speaking of the metaphor, the Christian life, you're experiencing struggles, pain, and maybe you feel you're on the verge of collapsing spiritually. Runners call this hitting the wall. At some point in a long-distance race, there comes a period where our, our bodies say, what are you doing to me? Stop right now. It usually, for me, in a long-distance race, comes around mile two. <laughs> what are you doing to me? You can't go any further. You're an idiot. You should have slept in. And spiritually speaking, that happens to us. Many of you know the trial that I've been through. Next week will be 12 months. And, and one of the best ways that I know how to explain that trial to you, that in my own Christian life, in my own spiritual experience, I felt like somewhere I, I hit a wall. Like, well, what am I doing? I don't think I can go any further. And maybe that's where you're at today. You feel like you're on the verge of collapsing spiritually, emotionally, mentally. Our text actually addresses the possibility of this in the Christian life. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says, consider him lest you become what? Weary and discouraged. So he says it's very possible that in the Christian life, this agonizing and grueling race that we struggle through, that if we are not careful, we will all reach a point where weariness and discouragement weighs us down. Are you weary this morning? Are you discouraged? Do you feel like you can't run any longer? Any further? Perhaps you feel like you've hit that metaphorical wall? Well, let me tell you a couple of things about this race that we're running. One, and this is not the outline yet, so just bear with me. I told you I love this text. We might be here a while. Let, let me just say here, you're not alone. We're, we're in this thing together. That is, if you're in the race... If you're in the race, we are, we are running it together. I love how the writer of Hebrews says it here in verse number 1. Look at the language. He says, let us run the race. He includes himself. Let us run the race. We're, we're running together. Running in isolation will always create the potential of quitting too quick, too soon. When I'm out running by myself and I don't feel like I have it today, it's a whole lot easier to convince myself, well, that's enough for today. 
But when I'm with someone else, there, there's an encouragement that comes along with it. So when we run with others, we're, we're encouraged to keep going. When our minds and bodies become weak and want, want to quit, we, 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 we get together and say, hey, hey, come on, you can do this, let's go, we're, we're, we're almost there. But sometimes we'll ask each other the question when we're out on a run, do, do we need to slow down? Do we need to adjust our pace a little bit? We're not going to quit, but what, what do we need to do to make sure that we can, we can keep going and finish? That's the beauty of being able to run together, and that's the illustration he's given us here in the Christian life. We are together, and this Christian life that we're in, the race we're running, is meant to be ran together, together. Hebrews has already emphasized the necessity of Christians being together. That is, if indeed we're going to press on and not quit. It was just two chapters ago in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. He says, let us consider one another. That is, the Christian life is about one another. It's about considering each other, stirring up love and good works, not forsaking of the, the assembly of ourselves together, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. He says, don't run in isolation. It's not good for you. And if you keep running this Christian life by yourself, alone, in isolation, without brothers and sisters in Christ, without the church, then don't be surprised one day when you've quit the race. Because when we run together, we're there to encourage one another. And to help each other. One of my favorite illustrations of this is in regards to the Special Olympics. I read many years ago that volunteers for the Special Olympics, they're, they're vital. They, they call them encouragers. And uh, when, when, these, when these children are running in a race, they will, they will place encouragers at the start line. They, they, will, they will have encouragers who run with the participants, and then they'll have encouragers at the finish line. And their name describes everything about what they're there volunteering to do. It's to encourage them. And so you have a group of people at the start line that says, come on, all right, you can do this. When the, when the gun shoots, when the horn blows, when the whistle goes, you, just, you keep on running. And so they're encouraging them at the starting line. And then there are others who are running with them. Come on, don't turn around. Don't quit. Don't go. Come on, we're almost there. And then you have the guy at the finish line saying, come on, come on, look at me, look at me. You can do this. You can do this. Encouragement. And that is what the writer is saying here. Let us run together. Don't forsake being together. Don't run in isolation. Run together and let us encourage one another as we do so. That's the point. God did not design the Christian life for you and I to run alone. We run together. And so I want you to know if you're weary, if you're discouraged, if you feel like you're on the verge of spiritual collapse, you're not alone this morning. Look around you. There is a whole body of believers here today who are running with you, and they want to encourage you, and they want to help you if you'll come and run with us. Let me say also that if you're not running at all, it's time to get in the race. I know what that's like, physically speaking, when you wake up early in the morning, you turn around and you say, hey, you want to go for a run? Nah. <laughs> there are times I look myself in the mirror, you want to go for a run? No, I don't. <laughs> Let me just say, if you're not running, it's time to go running. It's time to put your faith in Jesus, trust the gospel, and start running with hope toward the finish line. He says in verse 1, let us run the race that is what? Set before us. 
That is, there is a race that God has already mapped out for your life. It is set before you. You don't, you don't get to run just any course you want and expect to receive the finisher's prize at the end. No, you've got to run his course, his race, the one that he's mapped out, the one that he's marked out for your life. I enjoy watching the Olympics. I know some of you are boycotting it, but you're missing a whole lot of fun. I like to watch the Summer Olympics and the Winter Olympics. Yesterday, I was mesmerized as the downhill ski event and all the snow that was going, coming down and the visibility. I've just, uh, Kathleen's ready to watch something else. I've been glued to it for two weeks. I love watching it. I don't know half of all the competition and why they get points for these things, but I enjoy it. My, my eyes have been glued to this downhill ski race particularly. You'll notice on these downhill ski races, they'll have, they'll have gates that mark the course precisely. And those, those skiers must stay within those gates on the marked course in order to keep from being disqualified. If they go outside the course, if they try to go down the hill the way they want to go down the hill, then, then, they're, then they're disqualified. They, they're not going to finish. And so it is in the Christian life. There is a race set before us. There is a race marked. There is a race mapped. God has mapped out the course already. And it's a race that must be ran, watch this, in Jesus Christ. But to run any race outside of faith in Jesus Christ is to be disqualified from the eternal prize. So if you're not running, it's time to go running. It's time to get in the race. And it's time to run the race God has set out for us with faith, with faith in Jesus Christ alone. So to summarize the intent of the text, he's basically saying here, if you're not a Christian, get in the race. But if you are a Christian, keep running and don't give up. Keep running and don't give up. And that's really what I want us to focus on. How is it that as Christians, when we get weary and discouraged, when we feel like we're on the verge of spiritual collapse, when we don't think we can go another mile, how do we keep running? And not give up. Well, three, three things here. Write, write them down. I think it will help you as you meditate on these things later. No, number one, be inspired by those who have gone before us. You want to finish? You want to endure the race? You want to not give up and keep running? Then, then be inspired by those who have gone before us. Look at it in verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us Run. Let us run. He says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now we have to address this cloud of witnesses. Who, who are they? The word therefore in verse 1 ties us back to chapter 11. And we spent a great deal of time in chapter 11. So we understand that the cloud of witnesses is first because of the word therefore. It is first a reference to all the saints that he has mentioned in the hall of faith there in Hebrews chapter 11. They are that great cloud of witnesses. They ran the race of faith. They finished the race of faith regardless of the difficulties and struggles and pain that they experienced along the way. But I think there's also a broader picture here because notice what he calls it. He calls it a great cloud, not a small cloud. It's a great cloud of witnesses. It's more than just those mentioned by name in chapter 11. It's also a reference to all of those 
who have gone before us and have finished their race. Now this cloud of witnesses, I think, even by myself, has been misunderstood to suggest that they are actually watching us, that they are watching us run the race. Now, I'll be honest with you, it makes for a great illustration if that's true. You could talk about the stadium of the Christian life and how all of these who've gone before us are sitting up in the stadium and right now this morning they're cheering us on saying, go, go, you can do this. It makes for a great illustration. I think I've been guilty of doing that in the past when I've looked at this text. But I'll be honest with you, there is no biblical teaching whatsoever, none, that suggests that those who've gone before us are watching us. That's... That's a good thought sentimentally, that mama's up there watching me, that Paul's up there cheering me on, that Peter's over there waving the towel, come on, let's go. I mean, it makes me feel good, but I'm going to be honest with you, if we're going to be people of the book, we need to be people of the book. And the book doesn't say anything about that. It can't be proven by Scripture. Now, is it possible that God would allow that? Yes, it's possible. But again, there's no biblical evidence that supports it. So what I believe is being said here and what most scholars agree on is that we are witnesses to them, not that they are witnesses to us. In other words, this cloud of witnesses is not a group of spectators. They are a group of finishers. A group of finishers that we can see, that we can study, that we can be inspired by. How they ran, how they finished their race. And we are inspired by the fact that they went through the same struggles that we do and experienced the same pain that I experienced. And so they're running the race, what we have witnessed in them through the Scriptures and through those that we know who've lived on this world with us. We're inspired by their endurance and their faithfulness. It's about what we see in them, not so much what they right now see in us. Now, I think that's much more encouraging. Because what would heaven be if I could look down from heaven and see all the mess that my life is in? All the problems I'm going through. That's not much of a heaven. But it's greatly encouraging to think about the fact that when I see them and I see in them what I know to be true about me. That like them, I have weaknesses. Like them, I have trials and pain and sin and failure and discouragement and fear. Yet still, they finish the race by faith in the promises of God. So we look to them and we are inspired by the fact that we have witnessed their race. And it helps us know that we're not alone. And if Abraham and Noah and Rahab can do it, then I can do it. I can do it. I'm going to show you one of my favorite running pictures. I think we have it on the screen. There it is. Right there it is. This is one of my favorite pictures of all my races and runs that I've done. 
this was at the end of probably my, well, not probably, it was. I, I, I ran what is called the Dopey Challenge at Walt Disney World. Why is it called the Dopey? Because you're only a dope if you do it. It's 48.6 miles in four days. So what you do is you run a 5K on Thursday, uh, come back the next morning at 2 in the morning, by the way, and run a 2K, 10K on Friday and a half marathon on Saturday, and then you wrap it all up on Sunday with a, with a full marathon. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know my family, that is my brother standing there to the left of me, and of course Kathleen was there. Uh, her shirt says something like, I'm here to support my husband's Disney addiction. Uh, this was completing that race, <laughs> that final marathon on that Sunday after having run 48, 48 miles in, in, in four days. The only reason I did that is because of the idiot standing to the left of me. <laughs> he had done it. And if you know Jared, like, you, it's like, come on, man, you can do this. Anybody can do this. You know, he's telling about all these people that have no arms, no legs, and they do it. You can do it too, you know. And <laughs> Come on, I've done it. And when he's your younger brother, you can't let your younger brother outdo you, right, if you're the older brother. So for months I've heard him, oh, you can do this. Come on, you're going to win. You're going to be a wimp. You can, come on, man, you can do this. So I did it. So I did it. But what was so cool about this picture to me is that Jared took the time to come all the way down to Florida and be there at the finish line when I crossed the line. The guy who inspired me, the guy that I I thought within myself, if my little brother can do it, yeah, I can do it. And what makes this picture so meaningful to me is that when I crossed that line, to see my wife and my brother who inspired me to run, who by looking at his hobby and his achievements all along the way, I realized I can do it too. I can do it too. That's the point of what he's saying by these cloud of witnesses. Look at Abraham and Noah, Isaac and Jacob and Rahab. Look look at your mom. Look at your dad. Look at those people who have been spiritual mentors in your life. If they finish, then you can do it too. And guess what? They'll be at the finish line when you get there. (laughs) And they may not be able to see you run right now. But when you get there and you cross that finish line, these who have inspired us to keep going and to keep running and to endure the end, they're going to get there. And when when we get there, they're going to say, I knew you could do this. Look at you, you finished. It was hard. The struggles, the pain, I had them too. But you did it, you finished. Oh, how do we endure to the end? By being inspired by those who've already done it. If they can do it, I can do it. I can do it. But not only that, write down number two. If if we're going to keep running and not give up, we got to deal with the stuff that slows us down. We got to deal with the stuff that slows us down. Look back again at verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and then let us run the race. Now, the obvious end goal of running a race is to finish it. Paul said in Acts 20, verse 24, that it was his desire not only to finish the race, but to finish with joy. I think every Christian desires the same. I want to finish, don't you? And I want to finish with joy. So we resonate with Paul's desire here. 
And so what we see in Hebrews chapter 12 is that finishing a race is the product of endurance. Endurance. We have to be able to go the distance. We have to be able to endure the struggles of a long distance race. That starts by dealing with the stuff that slows us down and potentially keeps us from finishing. That's why long-distance runners take very seriously disciplines like nutrition and rest and clothing and training. All of these things have an effect on how an athlete runs, competes, and finishes. So he lays aside all the weights. He lays aside all the food. He lays aside even all the clothing that's going to hinder him from enduring, from finishing. Look at it specifically as it relates to us spiritually in the text. Number one, he tells us to lay aside every weight. He's not talking about sins yet. He's just talking about weights. And here's the thing about weights. Weights are perfectly innocent. Nothing wrong with them. Not within this context. Take a runner for an instance. There's nothing wrong with eating a dozen donuts the night before a big race. Nothing sinful or wrong about that. There's nothing wrong with choosing to run in a pair of jeans instead of lightweight shorty shorts, as we like to call them. However, those things will certainly make your running experience miserable. You're going to slow down at some point, which is why they choose to lay them to the side. So that they can have the endurance necessary to run and finish. They neglect eating the donuts. They look at the clothing that they're wearing. They, they necessitate a certain amount of nutrition and rest because we want to give our very best. We don't want to be hindered from finishing. We want to we finish this thing. Look, weights are not necessarily sin, church. They are innocent things. Sometimes Good things, good things, a job, money, family, health, dreams, they're all good things, but they can become a hindrance to our Christian life. And when they do slow us down in our faithfulness to Christ, he says there's only one thing we need to do. We need to throw them to the side. We need, we need to give those weights up in terms of their place in our life. Now, my objective is not to list a bunch of potential weights that you and I may have because I, I believe firmly that the Holy Spirit is probably already pointing yours out in your own heart. You know those things that are not sin, but they're slowing you down keeping you away from Christ? Perhaps that's the question that we need to ask today. What is it that's distracting me from Christ's mission right now? What is it that is distracting me from Christ's mission right now? You see, let me just be honest. In the Christian life, you and I, we got to ask better questions. We're asking the wrong questions. We're asking questions like, is this a sin? And so we make all of our decisions on the basis of whether or not the Bible says it's a sin. Instead of asking the question, is it a sin? We need to be asking, is this hindering me from being faithful to Jesus? 
Is this slowing me down? Is it distracting me from Christ's mission? Is it possible that this weight in my life could keep me from finishing? And if the answer to that question is yes, it needs to be laid to the side. It needs to be avoided. So he says lay aside weights, whatever those are in your life. Mine are different from yours. Yours are different than mine, perhaps. But we have to ask ourselves that question. What is it right now that's keeping me from being faithful to Jesus? That's not necessarily a sin, a good thing perhaps, but I'm too wrapped up in it. It's become my God, my idol. It's what I live for. All right? Lay it to the side. Or one day you might quit. The second, he says, lay aside sin. Now, obviously, all sin is a hindrance to Christian living. But the writer seems to be addressing a particular type of sin. Did you notice that? Look at it again there. He says, lay aside, verse 1, the sin which so easily, easily ensnares us, traps us. There are certain sins that not only cling to us or beset us, but they do so easily. Easily. And again, they're different for each of us. Some, some of you have sins that so easily, easily drag you down that for the rest of us, is not a problem. But there are some sins in my life that easily weigh heavy on me. They easily get me away from Christ. And you would never dream of them being a problem for you. So we all have them, right? Sins that easily ensnare us. They cling to us. So when something so easily clings to us, we have to be even more careful not to entertain it. But to deal with it. And to deal with it intentionally. And to deal with it quickly when it pops up. Achilles in Greek mythology was a legendary hero. Now we're talking about Greek mythology here, okay? He was strong, courageous, superhuman strength. But if you're familiar with his story, he had one vulnerability. And that one vulnerability was in his heel. Have you ever heard why his heel, the heel of his foot, was so vulnerable? Well, as, as, as the legend goes the story, it was prophesied that Achilles was going to die as a young infant. So his mother was trying to do everything that she could to prevent that from happening, to make her son immortal, invulnerable. So she heard about this river that when you dip yourself or dunk in this river, that it would make your body immortal, invulnerable. So she takes her little son, newborn son, she holds him by the heel of his foot and dunks him into the water where he's completely covered, except for one area, the heel of his foot, where she was holding him. So when, as the legend goes, when she pulls Achilles back out, every part of his body, except for the heel of his foot, is completely invulnerable. And for most of his life, it worked because he grew well past adolescence. And people could not take him down. This thought that he indeed became immortal. Until one day he went to battle and a poisoned arrow was shot directly toward him. It hit him and he died immediately. Now, do you know where it hit him? In the heel of his foot, right? 
the one vulnerable spot in his whole body, that's where it hit him. Which is why today, when we talk about our own vulnerabilities and weaknesses, we often refer to it as our Achilles heel. Thank you, class. You're doing very good. That's where the whole thing comes from. All right? Now, spiritually speaking, we all have an Achilles heel. We all have a sin that easily clings to us. We have to deal with it daily by bringing it to Christ, by by laying it down. Because sin is going to continue to assault us. Satan is going to keep shooting his arrow toward us. Paul talked about that in Romans chapter 7. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't need to do, I end up doing. He ends the chapter by saying, oh, wretched man that I am. I hate that sin is a constant problem for me. But he also goes on to tell us that as Christians, we're not condemned in Christ. And because we're not condemned in Christ, we have to work hard through the Holy Spirit to deal with these sins and not allow it to take residence in our lives. Remember, the metaphor here is that we are to be running. And in and of itself, that implies activity. Activity. So consider the metaphor. The Christian life is one of faithful activity. It's not that of passive idleness. And in order to be active faithfully in running the race, we have to deal with the stuff that slows us down. And frankly, some of us have a lot to deal with, and we need to deal with it today. Today. Waits. Sins. All right. So how do we endure this long struggle, this grueling, agonizing race called the Christian life that's filled with pain and is easy for certain discouragements to drag us down, to cause us to be weary, where we feel like sometimes we're on the voyage of spiritual collapse. Well, I would encourage you to be inspired by those who have endured it and have finished it. That great cloud of witnesses, that great group of finishers who've endured the same things that you and I are enduring, and God strengthened them to finish the race. I would say secondly to you, as the text says, deal with the stuff that is slowing you down. Deal with it. Don't pretend it's not there. Address it. Deal with the weights. Deal with the sins. And then thirdly and finally, fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. Friends, when running a race, nothing will impede your progress or slow you down like looking at the wrong thing. We're often tempted to do that. I remember in 2012, I I remember it because I was sitting in a hotel lobby in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, watching the London Olympics as I was waiting to go speak for a a pastor friend of mine. And uh, as I'm sitting there, I'm watching the London Summer Olympics, the cycling road race. And uh, there was a cyclist from Colombia. Camilla, I'm sorry, this might hurt your feelings, the story I'm going to tell. He was heralded to be the victor that year, Rigoberto Una. You heard of him? You have. All right. I had never heard of him until then. But obviously, he's a big deal in Colombia. Rigoberto Uno 
was picked to win the championship in the cycle. And he was doing well. In fact, I remember watching the race, being mesmerized at how far ahead he was. He was a shoe-in for the goal because he was only 100 yards away from the finish line. When all of a sudden, to everyone's surprise, as he's coming around a corner, he decides to look behind him to see how close people were. It was the mistake he made. Because he was going at such a strong speed, all of a sudden he turns around and he begins to get wobbly on his cycle, on his bicycle. And that's all the gentleman behind him needed to stretch in front of him and capture the gold right in the place of Rigoberto. And I say that because so often in our own Christian life, we're the same way. We got our eyes fixed on the goal. We let things distract us. We're looking at the other people. We're looking behind us. And those things impede us. They, they slow us down. They, they affect our ability to run. And so what the, what the writer is saying here is, look, we got to keep our eyes fixed. Fixed ahead on Jesus. You see, to look unto Jesus is to fully concentrate on him. Concentrate on him. To fix, to fix our eyes on him. Him. To look to him. Now, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. Some of my greatest challenges in life come when I am preoccupied with myself. Some of my greatest challenges come when I'm preoccupied with others. And I don't mean serving them. I mean what they think of me. What they're doing to me or whatever. But when I turn my eyes away from everything and everyone else and look only unto Jesus, it drastically changes my pace. For one, I'm reminded of who he is when I'm looking at him. I mean, when I'm concentrating on, hello. I'm reminded that he is the author and finisher of our faith. Do you see that there? That when my faith is struggling and my weaknesses are abounding, I can look at him and be reminded that it was Jesus who put me in this race. It's Jesus who will strengthen me to finish this race. That is, he created the race of faith in my life, and he will complete the race of faith in my life. And that's a wonderful thing because oftentimes when I'm looking at myself or I'm looking at this brother's doing or that sister's doing in comparison to me, I'm often looking at their race in comparison to my race, and it's always going to bring me down. But when I'm looking at Jesus, I'm reminded of who he is. He started this thing in my life. He will finish it. When my eyes are fixed on him, I'm also reminded of what he has done. Look at it again there in your text. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. That's what he's done. He secured my salvation. He took upon himself willingly and publicly my sin, my curse, my shame. And he did all of this in joy. Think about that. The joy of doing his Father's will. The joy of saving me. The joy of anticipating a restored and recovered creation in Christ. So when I feel like I'm not good enough, 
that I'm too big of a failure with way too many weaknesses to count for God? I look to Jesus. I fix my eyes on him, and I see that he has already won this race for me. Because of who he is, because of what he has done. When my eyes are fixed on him, I also see what he's doing right now. You think about what Jesus is doing right now? Well, he's not calling you on your cell phone. I know that. <laughs> and he's not playing a game of checkers. Look at what he's doing right now. He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Of all the uncertainties of life, this is certain. King Jesus right now is on his throne. You may not think he is, but he has sat down in his place of sovereign power. He is fulfilling his purposes in this world. He's doing his work in my life and in your life. He is praying for me right now. He is the one who's at the finish line calling me home. Come on, Jonathan. You can do this. Keep looking at me. You can finish. I've won the race already. Come on. Come on. Come on. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, he does the same in our own hearts. This is what he's doing right now. He's praying for me. He's calling me home. He's working everything out for his purposes so that I can endure until the end. And then finally, looking at Jesus, I'm reminded of how he did all of this. Verse 3, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your own soul. I think this is an important point because the writer calls us to clearly look to Jesus. Did you notice here he doesn't use the title Christ, but the name Jesus? I think that's for a purpose. I think he's specifically speaking of his humanity. Fix your eyes on the humanity of Jesus and consider all that he endured as a man with the hostility that was against him. So those in chapter 11 were flawed examples. That's why we can't fix our eyes on them. That's why you can't fix your eyes on me. We fix our eyes on Jesus because as a man, he's the perfect example. In his humanity, he experienced weariness. He experienced discouragement. He experienced, as verse 3 tells us, hostility like most of us will never experience. And he endured everything that was thrown at him. He never quit on the plan of his father. He finished the race and has become our perfect example. He has become our focus. And apart from fixed eyes on Jesus, we will grow weary and we will lose heart. Every single one of us are in danger of spiritual collapse until we fix our eyes on Jesus and see how he did all of this. So fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on him through the scriptures. Fix your eyes on his person and work. Fix your eyes on his character, his life, his mission. Fix your eyes on his death, his burial, his resurrection. Fix your eyes on his present reign. Fix your eyes on his soon return. If you're discouraged, if you're weary, if you're on the verge of collapse, fix your eyes on Jesus. See him afresh and anew. Sing songs that keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. We need less Bruno and more Jesus. <laughs> My kids have changed the name of that song. We don't talk about Bruno till we don't talk about Jared. 
Sing songs that fix your eyes on Jesus. Read books that will keep your eyes on Jesus. Join a church that is committed more than anything to helping you look to Jesus and treasure Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if we will be inspired by those who have gone before us, deal with the stuff that slows us down and fix our eyes on Jesus, as we come to our finish line, we'll be able to say what Paul said. I fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me that day. And not to me only, but to also those who have fixed their eyes on Jesus, who love his appearing, his appearing, who love his appearing, who fix their eyes on the beauty of who Christ is. If you're not a Christian... Get in the race. Come run with us. We're a bunch of, what do we call it? Stumbling bumblers. There are times I trip and fall, make a fool of myself. There's times where my nutrition, spiritually speaking, is not what it ought to be, and and I'm I'm miserable. And, And there's a group of people in here this morning who would say the same thing about their own race. So so you're not alone. And we're not going to outrun you. In fact, we're going to run together. So if you're not a Christian, put your faith in Christ and come run with us. And together we'll get to the finish line. And if you are a Christian, stop running by yourself. Run with us. Don't give up. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Lay aside the weights. And one day, We'll finish the race. May God help us to do it. Let's stand together for prayer.